Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Unk View. As always, I am Unk Michael McClure. As always, I am joined by my nephew, Mr. Brendan Michael Lemon. We like to call him Brendan Michael Lemon because that's his name. Yo, it's Brendan Michael Lemon. What's happening, Brendan Michael Lemon? It's B. Michael Lemon. What's happening, BML? Uh, I'm, I'm I'm just trying to survive, man. I'm just trying to survive in this in this COVID nineteen hellscape we find ourselves wandering through. I, Every I, day, all I'm doing. Did I tell you hustling. that I'm starting a I'm starting a well, it's kind of a it's kind of a combination ska folk polka band that's called COVID nineteen hellscape. So I don't know if you if you were going through my <laughs> did you did you are you going through my shit at night, dude? Because ska I find polka. it hard to believe that you just made that up just now. I'm just banging out this Skoka music. <laughs> Skoka? What's that? Skapoka. Skap. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Skoka. <laughs> this is totally irrelevant to what we're here to talk about, but it just the thought occurs to me, and since everything we do is pretty much nonsensical, why the hell not? So it freaked me out when, when I saw you a few years ago post on Facebook that you had performed stand-up comedy at Shuba's. Shuba's Tavern. Shuba's Tavern, because I had spent so much time there with my friend Joe Martin, who lives in Chicago. I told you those stories about how we used to, every time I visited him in Chicago, which during uh, a decade or so was pretty frequent. And Joe is, uh, at the time, he's not anymore. He's now happily married and you know a very faithful husband. But at the time, he was a player, much like yeah. yourself, son, or at least you yeah. were. And well, uh, I, You know, still fancy a little bit of playing. I guess Gloria doesn't listen to this. Uh, I don't, I know she doesn't listen to anything I do. Well, you know, that's funny because nobody that I know listens to anything I do either. So that's awesome. Isn't it? Even in, <laughs> even in his, only in his hometown was Jesus not appreciated, but uh, yeah, there are no hometown prophets. Yeah, exactly. And so anyway, I uh, used to go out with, with uh, my friend, Joe Martin and we yeah. would just, you know, do Chicago like people, our young, relatively young males do Chicago. And at the end of the night, if. You know, we hadn't been successful at the other places we went. We always ended up at Shuba's. And so I have all this experience there, basically just stumbling in there at like 1.48 a.m. and watching Joe try to pick up a waitress. <laughs> all those poor waitresses. <laughs> and, and unfortunately for me, he was really good at it. So there were several, oh, there were several times when literally like I just want to go home. I'm exhausted. I'm smashed. I just want to go home, and here's Joe. He's talking to some waitress, and then he's motioning to me like, "Hey, come over here." And then I go over there. He goes, "Yeah, this is Carla, and Carla's coming over as soon as she gets off. She gets off at three, so we're just going to hang out and have a couple more. I'm going. She's going to ride with like, us. Now I've got to, I've got to stay here for this long. Yeah, we're going to share a cab, and then I'm going to go back to the, uh, you know, that that studio that I have where you're sleeping on the couch, and I'm going to fuck her up twenty feet from you. Oh my gosh, man. Oh, that is the worst. I just told this story recently. There's a great podcast by a friend of mine here in Chicago uh, named Andre Hashem. He's a uh, he's a comedian, and he's got this great podcast called the well, it's called the Haberdashery, but the series he's doing on it is called The Roof Is on Fire, and it's him talking about ha- horrible roommates. He just wants to talk with people who have had a horrible roommate experience, and you recall. I had that experience a couple of years ago. Like now, now longer oh, than a couple the, now. The the uh, Iceland video thing. No, no, no. The drug dealer who lived in my apartment. Uh, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I talked about that in the. Yes, I do remember that now. On that episode, and you can go check it out. It's called Work Drinking Drinking Work, and 
I talked about living with that guy on that podcast. And that's what one of the things that I mentioned was that before that guy, I had another horrible roommate and that dude would bring chicks back at like three in the morning and would fuck them really loud in the next room. And it, while I like, I have to wake up for work in like two three, hours, two hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he would, and, and then he would do a bunch of blow and then come to the office and be like, what's up, man? And I'm like, fuck you, dude. That's what's up. Oh, that's right. You guys work together. Yep. That's how, that's why you live together because you work together, right? Truth. Yeah, that'd be awful. Uh, nothing, nothing quite like a bad roommate. And I had a couple of them in college. I had one that, uh, one that was a pretty big dude. He was about six four, maybe two hundred. Which back in the day, back in my day, that was really big. And he was he was a decent guy, but he just had an edge about him. And I recall yeah. at one point I came home from class, and he was eating a pizza. And I remember thinking, okay, well, when I left for class two hours ago, there was one pizza in this apartment, <laughs> and it was mine. And I walk in, and I see him eating, and I go, just out of curiosity, and before I could even finish this sentence, he goes, yeah, it's your fucking pizza. What are you going to do about it? Oh, my God, man. And I'm like, well, I guess not a lot at this point. Yeah, it was, it was pretty ugly. It was pretty ugly. I had some, I had some amazing roommate stories from Michigan State. I just... I'll just share one quick one with you, one more, because it's just, to me, it's so funny. Is it, I still recall the guy's name. It was Cliff, and Cliff was a player, and uh, I lived with Cliff my second term at Michigan State. I move in with him, and there's a brown paper bag, a big like uh, grocery sack over in the corner, kind of all crumpled up, looking like it's a very old sack, and I'm like, wonder, wonder why he would keep a sack that long. I wonder what the hell's in that. So I said, hey, Cliff, what's in that, what's in that bag over there? He goes, dude, open it up. Check it out. You're going to love it. So I opened up this this uh, grocery bag, and there were probably 35 pairs of panties. Whoa. And ranging in size from, you know, like a child's size all the way up to you could <laughs> you could sort of like paraglide with. Uh, <laughs> this is no. This is so, so large. Uh, or could use it as one of those like canopying sunbonnets on a beach. Or, or as a as a as a tarp for a local revival. So anyway, that was I thought that was funny. And so tarp that he, from a local revival. Yeah, he he he. Every girl he ever ever you know had sex with, he just kept their panties. And how he did this, I'm not sure. But it it, it was oh, hilarious. Can't it was find such a. Them. It was, That's how you do it. <laughs> it was such a conversation piece. Part of the reason I left my last job was because you I used fired. to wake up. I used to I used to wake up on my in the morning at well that six was your the, first mistake yeah, I know I used to work at, wake up at six in the morning and I would look at my phone and there would be waiting for me like a dozen emails and notifications from my boss and other people in the company who were already up and working many of whom were in the UK and then I would go to bed and I would still I would receive emails at like eleven o'clock at night from other people who are still working. It was just like it was the most insane. And not that I'm even necessarily opposed to working a lot or even that much. It was just that was every day. Yeah. Like there was just no opportunity to just check out from from work. Well, and yeah, I totally agree. And the worst part of that, I think, is and ironically, we were talking about, in essence, almost the same thing before we started recording this podcast is because because of that process of being constantly connected and constantly on, I think what happens over time is that you become conditioned to be on 
all the time, even when you don't want to be, even when you're trying not to be, and even when you don't have to be. It's mm, just impossible mm. to shut that switch off for some people. It absolutely is impossible for me. And, yeah, yeah, you know, because I really, I'm largely in control of my own schedule. You know, I own a company, I, you know, sell real estate for a living. I can, if I want to take the next 10 weeks off, I can. Yeah. But because I've been so conditioned for so long to just be constantly on and constantly reactive to things. And I pride myself on, like if a client calls me or texts me or emails me, I pride myself on responding to that literally as fast as I can because I believe that sets me apart from most people because most people don't do that. Yeah. But the problem with that is that, you know, again, you, you condition yourself to do that and you, you can't turn it off. I think that there's going to be a lot of psychological and, and also physical health issues. I'm sure this is already happening. I'm just not aware of it. Lots of people are going to come down with a lot of different things, diseases even. I, I, I'm fascinated by the word disease. Disease, if you break it down, it's dis-ease. Dis-ease. Dis yeah. I'm just not being at ease. And I really do believe that that's one of the largest causes of disease is just the fact that you're not at ease, you're not relaxing, you're not restoring, you're not recovering on so many different levels. And I think that's just uh, not that's good. Just, I, that's, that's really true. I mean, that's real. Is it the, the chronic the, – we talked about this when uh, uh, Chris Voss was talking about that the most traumatic thing is, is – uh, Not is, knowing? Is not knowing. I'm working – I do – I have my hands in so many projects. The, the point is, is like I do all this kind of stuff and I was talking to Bill, friend of the show, um, he came out with a, a master class online and that's selling really well. Like he made as much in one month, like three weeks, not even a whole month, releasing that class as I did my entire first year out of college. Um, anyway, where this is going is that like he made a whole lot of money in that like short amount of time and he's still doing well and he's getting another podcast and stuff. But I almost feel like if it, and unless I had a big windfall like that, I don't. And even in that circumstance, if I had the big windfall, I don't know if I would be able to unplug. I feel like I'm just going to have to be serious with myself and go, I am taking time off these days. And really being disciplined to actually take time off and not do any real work during that amount of time. Yeah, and I hope I hope you're successful with that, but I think what you'll find and I'm not trying to poison that thought at all. I hope you can do it. I really do. But it's just amazing how shit just comes up. Things you didn't expect, things you thought were done that aren't something, you know, it it's just amazing to me how that happens and I reached the point and for me largely this happened because of just selling real estate for a living which if you know anything about that, which I know you do, is you can't predict when anything happens ever. You can't predict anything. So basically, you know, you could think, oh, this is going to be, I'm going to have a great day today. I have almost nothing to do. I'm, and it's just uncanny how often that's the day when something comes up from nowhere and you got to respond to it. And when that happens to you enough over the course of years, like how many vacations I had that were just wrecked. And anybody listening, and I'm being very serious, I'm being very serious. If there's ever a career I would advise anyone never to pursue, it is real estate. And the reason is because, not just what I just said, but the money is going to sound weird. The money can be so good that you can't give it up. So it's like, yeah. you know, uh, I know that my life is wrecked, but, you know, I can I can make all, a big chunk of money on one sale and I can go, I can go three or four or six months and not make a nickel and then make one sale and I'm back to even. 
well, it's like uh, it's like uh, the casino, basically. Kind of like that, yeah. It, it you just get trapped in it, and you and once you're in it long enough, you just can't get out. And so, yeah, I wouldn't I would not suggest this. But back to what you were saying about you know, even if you had a big windfall, like sounds like Bill's had, and I'm very happy for him because he is a great guy, and I wish him all the best in all the things he does. But uh, but also fuck him, he's a piece of shit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, that that dude. Seriously, I really, really like that dude. I mean, he's just yeah. He, I know you do. Yeah, he's, he's just a good an guy. awesome guy. I really awesome like guy. Him too. That, what, he's, what like, you, he's he's like my best friend. And, and that's cool. But back to what I, the point I was making about that is that you said if you could, you know, you could have a windfall like it sounds like he's had, you'd have a hard time shutting off. And yeah, you would because, as we've discussed in the past, because you know we've both done this thing that we're talking about in terms of designing online courses, that kind of thing, is that. Those things are born to die. I mean, they don't last forever, and you just know that. I mean, like, no, nobody's ever created a course, to my knowledge, that has sold as well in year two or three or five as it did in year one, typically. I mean, I know that there's no consistent pattern there, but my point is they they don't last forever. So oh, yeah, there's a shelf life. Exactly. And they, yeah. yeah, I can I can see that already with my – like, I have, the, I have the number one spot for stand-up comedy courses on Udemy and Skillshare right now, and it's, like, been great because I can just kind of – watch it i and it's it's nuts because i've made as much doing that and no work since it's been out there as gloria has basically doing a almost job. Tw- 20 hours a week to mm. 25 hours a week teaching yoga so it's like i it was a great win for me to like create that and the amount of work that went into creating it was like not very much i mean if the multiples on it coming back are just fantastic but even there i can see that i'm like either better courses are going to come out or more of them, or like you have to continue to feed the machine yep. by tossing more of this stuff out there. And that's what's weird is like, you know, I, I heard this quote about um, Steve Jobs recently, where uh, it was somebody who had interviewed, oh, it was the guy who wrote the book, Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. He interviewed Steve Jobs after Steve had come back to Apple and had basically saved the company. Like he had, he, he got them focused on the iMac you know, way back in the day when that first commercial with Jeff Goldblum came out and that like that computer was unlike anything else in the marketplace. And he really saved the company by doing that. And it was funny because the guy who interviewed Steve Jobs, who wrote this book, just said, what is your next thing? Like, what's the next thing, Steve? And Steve like sat there for a second and thought about it. And he said, I don't know. I'm going to sit around until a billion dollar idea comes to me. And that's literally what he did. He didn't have a plan for exactly what the next thing was going to be. He just waited until he got the idea for the, basically the the uh, the Apple uh, iPod. iPod. Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. That idea of or the concept of not doing anything until you really know what you're going to do and. Somebody might hear that and think, well, yeah, duh. Well, not really, because what most people do, and certainly this applies to me, what I've done throughout the course of my life is I finish something, then I have to start something else. Yeah. And the amount of time that I have, the amount of time and money that I have wasted doing the wrong thing. So not only did the thing not succeed, whatever it is I'm referring to, and there are a bunch of things I could mention, not only did it not succeed, but... 
I was expending all my resources in that direction, my time oftentimes working crazy self-imposed hours because I was so anxious to get there. Like, oh, I know this idea is brilliant, and once, once I release it, it's going to, this is the thing. This is the thing that's going to make me rich. And I've done that several times on things that have just failed miserably. And at the conclusion of that, on many occasions, I've thought, you know, if I had set and done nothing for a year, nothing, I would have been ahead of where I am right now. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's an idea that it took me many decades of living to ever even come close to arriving at, you know, like, yeah. wow, that's actually a real thing. And so I've tried to learn from that, but I still haven't really applied it very effectively because it's just my nature. I view myself kind of like a boat engine that if I'm not in the water and running at a high speed, I I feel like I'm going to blow up. Like I, I, get, I have to apply my energy to something. Yep. And I think that that can be very, very counterproductive and dangerous and unhealthy. And, you know, it, we're all just wired differently. That's how I'm wired. I wish I could change it. I yep. don't think I'm going to, I don't think I'm going to at this point, but I hope somebody hears that and it resonates because I really do think that if you're not sure what you want to do next, I would rather just sit and, and just wait for something really good. And, you know, there's so much power, something that's really become kind of a popular cultural thing. And I'd say the last decade is the power of saying no. Oh, yeah. Like how I've always been horrific at that. Like if somebody that I respect or like reaches out to me in a professional capacity and says, hey, do you want to get involved with this? I have on a number of occasions said yes, simply because I wanted to do something with that person mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. because the idea was good. Now, yep. I, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that approach because oftentimes you got to go through that exact path to get to the next thing with that same person, which could be amazing because I have done that too. But more often than not, what happens is you get involved and your heart really truly wasn't in it for the right reasons. And things just don't play out the way that, you know, the way that it was hoped by whomever you were with. I, you need to, this, this needs to be the book that you write and publish on Amazon because there's so much, there's so much wisdom in the things that you're saying right now. Like the, I just think just three things that came to mind while you were talking or, or two, we'll see if I get, we'll see if I can remember the third one. But the first one is you were saying like saying no is really important and all of this, that there was a quote, this, this sounds crazy that I'm referencing Kid Rock, but there's a quote that Kid Rock said about the drummer from ACDC. He just said the mark, he goes, the mark of a true master is someone who knows when not to play. Yep. And that there's that really hit me where he was like that guy's so good at drumming he knows when not to he knows when not to do it and that like i think about that a lot where they say like you know the you know real mastery or elegance is getting rid of the things that don't need to be there yeah and like you know like bruce lee even talks about this like he's like i practiced the art of fighting without fighting where like he would try to just put people who disagreed with him in positions where no fight would occur. He just outmaneuvered them. He's like, I don't have to use martial arts. I just put you in a position where you can't actually fight me. That's really high level gameplay. Most advice for most people is not the advice that makes people masters like or, or real experts. Like what got you here can't get you there because the first level is just being just getting in to play the game. There are a lot of people who will never get in to play the game True. because they don't 
they don't have the drive, they don't have the desire, they don't have the 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 barrier to entry is too high, which is like I'm gonna try one idea and then I'm gonna give up because that I didn't didn't work. But it's like we've talked about this before, where like there's a there's a a track record. It took me, Uncle Mike, because this is a problem I really used to have in spades. It took me to get to the point where I was basically homeless. Right. <laughs> to be like fuck, I need to be in this game 100% committed. And that has to happen every day. You know, like I, this might, something might be a failure. There's no time to dwell on it. Take the lessons you can move on to the next thing. Yep. Like that, that, that it takes someone to get to that point before the lesson. Oh, you need to say no to some things becomes really important. And like, oh, a I big, agree. the thing yeah. that, the thing that Bill hit on this yesterday, and it's uh, it's something that hit me recently too, which is part of the reason I pulled Ali into this whole situation, which I guess I don't mind sharing with the listeners. We'll probably hear about Ali eventually. Um, is that uh, he? Bill finally said to me, he's like, dude, I'm starting to think that I, I, I maybe need to bring other people in on some of these projects because I just can't do all of these things. And I was like, you can't, man. Like you just, you just cannot, like, it's smart for you to recognize this is me talking to Bill, but it's also me talking to myself. Like it's important for you to recognize that it's like, you're really good at some things and you're not good at other things. And if you avoid doing those things, cause you're not good at them, that's where your Achilles heel is. And it is actually far better for you to just partner with or pay somebody else to do those things so that you don't have to. Absolutely. And, and they're going to be a lot faster to get done. Not only that, but I just want to add, I agree with everything you just said. And I want to add to it because you said, if I'm not good at something, I would even, I would even suggest that sometimes even if you are good at something, doesn't mean you should do it because you know, when, when you're good at doing a lot of things and if you're, especially if you're the kind of person that just likes to learn new stuff and, and just do all kinds of different things, uh, which I think of myself that way, and, and that's not a compliment because what I have done throughout the course of my life, which is another thing I would change about me if I could, would be not to do a lot of things that I did that I did really well mm. because I could have done something else really well or maybe even not really well. It doesn't matter, but it would have ultimately been more productive or positive or I would have made more money or whatever. But I've always been one who just wanted to do everything on my own just because for no good reason. Yep. And that, and that's a terrible that's a terrible thing to do. Like I I often think of stories like Google. And I don't even know the story beyond the beyond the fact of the founders and you know the 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 basic start of the story as students at Stanford. But beyond that, I mean, haven't you sometimes just sat back and thought like how in the hell did that company go from that start to what it became? as quickly as it happened, because it was shocking to me how it went from, you know, like you never heard of it to suddenly it's one of the largest companies in the world. Like, you know how much went in, had to go into that growth? Like, how do you know how, who to hire, who to partner? How do you bring them in? Are they yep. equity, are they equity um, partners or are you just paying them a salary? And I, I mean, I just can't even conceive of how they did that. And I'm just picking them random. There's, I'm, I don't, you know, I could have picked Facebook for that matter. Yeah. Um, or any company of that nature that has explosive growth and sustains it somehow. Because I look at a guy like Mark Zuckerberg, and I'm being very serious. I think Mark Zuckerberg, I mean, clearly he has a very high IQ. I mean, he was a Harvard student, obviously. But still, that is one of the weirdest motherfuckers 
He's such a weirdo. He is seriously. I mean, I'm being this dead serious. He's just the strangest person, and I, I'm sure you saw some of the footage of his te- of his testimony before, you know, whatever that was, Congress or the Senate or whatever it was. Remember that, like last year. Yeah. And you know, he's he he just comes off like he just landed from another planet. He's so he he's he's an alien person, and I mean, it's like there the interviews I've heard where people talk about having conversations with him is that that's how he is in um, interpersonally in a meeting. He's just a total weirdo whose brain works in this very bizarre way. Yeah, well, he's so consistent in that. You know, like every every bit of footage I've ever seen of him, he's the same guy over and over and over. And yeah, he's like it's like he's just some super super intelligent alien who instantly assimilated with our culture and learned the language instantly and just has an IQ that's freakish and, you know, he's yeah. some, but whatever. I mean, it's just still, how did that guy do what he did? It's not just whether you can do something, it's whether you should do something. And, and I, I think you're right. These are the these are the high-level things that it's taken me, you know, twice your age to figure out, even, even to scratch the surface on many of these things, just to become aware of the idea, let alone apply it. And yep. these are the things that I think, no, these are the kind of things I've ne- that never get taught anywhere. Like there's no college course that I ever heard of. Maybe there is no. today because things have changed so much since I was in college. But there should be like high level business building lessons learned. Like to me, well, that would or, be or like entrepreneurship or like oh, yeah. there's like a, yeah, there's yeah, like that, a way it. to discuss it. Like people talk about entrepreneurship courses and things like this. I almost took the Alt MBA a, a, a couple of years ago. I thought, you know what? I think I might do it. I might take Seth Godin's Alt MBA course. Yeah, I thought that's that's who you meant. Yeah, and I didn't because I thought to myself, I'm going to learn a lot more probably taking the four grand it would cost to take this course and just using that to try to start a real business doing something. And I basically did that trying to do the funny planet. And honestly, I learned a fucking ton about the entertainment industry, made a ton of connections, like did a whole bunch of stuff trying to do that. And like, would I have learned more in an alt MBA course? I don't know, maybe, but I think part of this is that in order to do it, you just have to do it. Like there needs to be yeah. like almost a, I've thought about this before. Like there needs to be an education course for high schoolers where it's like, you have to build a, and a, an attempt to make a business, uh, your junior and senior year. You have two years to turn a profit and you're going to have you know, maybe mentors or who, who knows what we'll give you some seed money. Cause we already pay our, you know, everybody at school has a, a, a laptop and a MacBook Now don't tell me you don't have $500 per student to over a two year period of time to try to help them figure out a right. business and turn a profit. Like if a, if a community did that with every single student, the amount of stuff that they would know by the end of that, like, and oh, yeah. that's just not the way our education system's modeled at all, which is a total tragedy because it's not like I haven't been served by my education, period, but like in terms of me making my way through life, I don't think anything I learned really has helped me do much of anything. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I agree with that, but I do. I, I agree with the, the main point you're making completely, which is I don't, I, I, the, our educational system isn't really designed for the real world. You know, and, and this is so cliche, I don't want to waste the time saying it, but just in case people don't know what I'm referring to, things like uh, how to open a bank account, how to balance a checkbook, how to, you know, all that shit, all those yeah. kinds of things. Yeah. That how, how, do you, how, do you, how do you find a target market for something you want to do and, and have conversations with those people in order to try to get business from them? 
Well, that's a little more arcane, but ju- I mean, that's even more valuable, but that's even more arcane than what I'm referring to. I'm talking more even fundamental stuff. like Yeah, just personal finance. Yeah. That kind of thing. And, and other things of that, like doing your own taxes, you know, th- that kind of thing or what, how, why you should set taxes aside if you're paid as an independent, con- you know, things like that, that, yeah, I think most people just sort of run into a brick wall at some point and learn it the hardest way when they don't, when they make the mistake and have to then yeah. fix it after the fact, as opposed to learning it up front. <laughs> But, you yep. know, unfortunately, I think the design of our educational system is in the hands of people who maybe want it the way that it is. I don't think that was always the case. I just think that's where we are now that uh, I don't want to get off into politics, but it just seems to me that there's an agenda in, within the larger educational process, mm. um, the dumbing down. There's just something different about the way kids are raised today, and it seems to me much more emphasis is placed on being a good person and getting along with other people, and not saying offensive things, and including everyone, and making sure that everyone feels included, as opposed to, this is how you balance a checkbook. This is how you get a loan. This, you know what I mean? It's just, this is how you fix a, fe- a, a, a fender bender. Yep. We're just, it's just the wrong shit. Not that those things don't matter. They do matter. But I think those things that I mentioned in that first list yeah. are more the should be the responsibility of the home, the parents, than oh, the yeah, school. Oh, yeah, but like, no, most of those parents are just doing those things for those kids now. Oh, like, yeah. Like, most of those parents are, like, just going to do that. Like, I'm embarrassed to say this, but, like, I didn't even, like, when I got into eastern Michigan originally, not not the second time where I went back, but the first time, it basically, my mom basically figured out and filed the application for me. Like, I was just so like, I don't even know. I don't even care, whatever. And she did it. And I'm so embarrassed by that fact now. But like, that's basically what happened. And and it stopped there, thankfully, in my own life. But like, that kind of thing, like, like, I heard this report the other, just the other day, they were talking about uh, whether or not college students are going to go back in the fall. Right. And whether or not people were going to feel, you know, secure about it and how it was going to work. And in every single one of these situations, every conversation was like, well, you know, if the students and parents feel blah, blah, blah. And in my head, I'm like, why the fuck? These are, they're all 18. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I understand that, like, when you're 18, your parents are still a big part of your life, period. Probably altogether and will always be that way. But, like, they shouldn't be – like, like people need to continuously – like, if I was in a college institution, I, w- I think I would continuously remind the media that parents are not really a part of this equation. That like the student is making the decision as to whether or not they want to go back to campus. They may make that decision with their parents, but we are not talking with parents here. Like no, I, this, we're talking with adults. No, totally agree. And it, it's so out of control. I recall reading an article in the Wall Street Journal about helicopter parenting. This is the first time I'd encountered that term, which now you know is an old, uh, relatively old term. But I recall there were some examples given within this article. One of which was a kid who was in, I believe, the admissions office at Harvard. Yeah. And this kid, who was being interviewed by somebody at Harvard, was uh, had, had his phone in his hands in his lap under the table. And so this person is, like, asking him questions, and this kid is texting his mom at, to repeat the question and then waiting for her to respond and then looking at his his or her phone, and then like reading the <laughs> oh answer God. to this person. Yeah. Like, that's how shameless. That's that, yeah. Well, it, I think that's terrifying because you end up with 
you know, kids who don't mature at the proper rate and they're, they're, they're just, they're not fully developed. To put a cap on that, yeah, I think that that whole parents overreach thing, just all it does is harms, it harms kids. They don't develop properly or normally and, and they do it too late. And I just think that's bad for everybody. There is a conversation that is not being had uh, at the moment, which is, you know, like, look, we're in a very bizarre situation. The pandemic is, it was, uh, uh, you know, un, unforeseen in many ways and also bizarrely foreseen in some ways. Yeah, but, true. But like really unforeseen in the sense that like if you were and depending, especially depending on who you are you could be completely fucked by this. Like I think I have some sympathy for kids graduating from college right now because I graduated in 2009 and it was like in the middle of the the, the recession was still happening basically when I graduated. And like there was just nothing, there was just no jobs period. And so it was like if you're graduating right now and you had a relationship with a loan company that now says, okay, well now you got to start paying your student loans like – the number of student loans that are going going to go into forbearance in the next two months is going to be unbelievable because nobody is going to be able to get a job doing anything right. right now. Right. And so I just want to make that point where it's like, you know, if I'm a college student, the ability to or if I'm a college graduate in that circumstance, my ability to take care of myself is severely diminished. Like I I won't have money for a place to live. I won't have money to pay my bills, like all kinds of stuff. And, and, and there really ought to be some some kind of community program related to making sure that I don't completely fuck myself financially for life, like right as I'm trying to get out into the marketplace and start my life. I don't I don't think that's good for anybody. But at the same time, it's like at some level, there's the discussion that needs to be had is like, OK, well, where at what point do we go? OK, now this is your responsibility, because it feels like we've really like we can as a as a as a social group have not really had that conversation or are kind of ignoring that conversation in many different ways. This has been like the weirdest uh, audio verite conversation, but actually I think it's been very good. Mostly I do. We didn't plan on talking about any of this stuff. I wanted to, I literally just wanted to get on here and talk about how cool I am because I ordered a 15 pound steel mace that I'm going to start using for exercising. Oh, awesome. Because I cannot freaking get any I can't we talked about this before I can't find any kettlebells I can't really even find any elastic bands like you talked about last time I looked into it and there's all these bodybuilders who don't really use they prefer not to use weights anymore they like using elastic bands I mean guys like jacked dudes and so I was like shit man this would be really cool so I go online I can't find elastic bands anywhere now uh, apparently because you said it in this podcast and this podcast is so popular right. it just bottomed out the market and <laughs> Uh, and now, but while I was looking around, I found out you can buy a mace, which I, you know what a mace is, right? Yeah. It's one of those, <laughs> it almost looks like an elongated bowling pin. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. It's what a, it's what a medieval knight uses to smash in the helmet of a Saracen. And I bought one. <laughs> it's arriving here tomorrow. And I could not be more excited about this. Uncle Mike. <laughs> What'd you pay for it? Like like forty bucks. It was pretty cheap, actually. That is cheap. So yeah. So I've. It's interesting you say that because I have been thinking about getting one of those myself because I've I've seen a bunch of random video clips. Do you know who uh, Aubrey Marcus? Aubrey Marcus. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Founder of Onnit.com, Joe Rogan's best friend. 
I, I didn't know that he was his best friend, but I knew that they were tight because, you know, Rogan's constantly featured and on its stuff. Yep. And I think well, he was an investor. By the way, I'm sure you saw this. My mind was blown when I heard this, which I heard it for the first time. I believe it was either this morning. I think I know morning. exactly what you're about to say. Yeah, I know you do. This morning or late last night that I, I saw Rogan announced that he signed that deal with uh, Spotify. Yep. Did you see for how much? Oh, it's like $100 million, I think. $100 right? million dollars to just have the rights to his podcast. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, my God. Like, my interest in Unkview... <laughs> Yeah, went yep. from <laughs> went from high to hey, you know, I think I'm gonna quit everything else and just do this every damn day because, I mean, Rogan is phenomenal and the 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 people he's had on. I mean, he is the ultimate destination for a podcast. But a uh, hundred million bucks, yeah. And there's nuts, you know, I mean, to me, what that did was it it made the market for that. Now that may ultimately prove to be way overstated because I think it is. I cannot imagine how on earth he can, you know, the, the economics make any sense at all. They don't make any sense to me whatsoever. But still, the fact that it happened, and I think what that means for the potential for other podcasters is very exciting. Uh, this is nuts, man. I mean, like, not only that, but here's some news related to that. It can happen for anybody in many ways because, John, I don't know if you know this, you know John Krasinski started a YouTube channel called Some Good News. Have you heard of, th of this? No. He literally just started this in this pandemic, or, I mean, due to the pandemic. It's John Krasinski from The Office, yep. and he's at home, and he's basically talking into his, his computer, and he has, like, a suit on and he's just talking into his computer camera and the audio is horrible and the lighting is horrible and it's literally just him talking about good things that have happened in the news and it's crazy how how popular this got immediately and they just there was a giant bidding war between CBS all access um, and Viacom and like I just got this wow. in this email from um from inside streaming yeah and Apple TV and uh, there is like a huge, he's now got a giant news show. Uh, wow. It's insane. It, 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 it can happen to just about anybody. Well, I mean, I, I really do agree with you, but I would say that, I mean, I mean, that dude had a massive following and, you know, I mean, he's a, he's a really well-known. Yeah, he's celebrity. a huge celebrity. Yeah. yeah. So I think he had a huge leg up, but still your point remains. I agree with it is these are really exciting times when, Traditional media is dying, and it's and I believe it's committing suicide in many respects because of all the bullshit we see with the media in terms of, you know, again, our most popular show of all time, RAP Journalism, and yep. how, you know, we did that we did that show four years ago. Four yep. years ago, and, and, and if you can think about it, four years ago, that was a story. That was oh, a yeah. real story. It, now it's not even a... Now it's like people. it's crazy because traditional media is only now catching up to it. Not to not to step on your point, but I, I just want to highlight it because I listen to uh, I listen to a lot of different news sources. One of them is Vox Media, and Vox is like starkly left. And Ezra Klein is kind of their editor in chief, and he's like a super left dude in many ways. He's like the liberal Ben Shapiro. Okay, um, but he had a conversation that I loved which was on his show and it was with a another journalist and they were basically just talking about how did the mainstream media get 
coronavirus so wrong and how did we get it so like the, the whole point was him it was an open conversation with him being like how did we fuck this up this bad like how did wow. it how did we fuck it up in this environment where people don't know what's true or what's not true or how, how it works or like what what is the problem with what has happened here and they go through all of these different things that are realities of the modern media envi- and challenges of the modern media environment which were so good and it was almost like i heard i was listening to it and thinking how does Ezra Klein, who's making his whole life and living and staking his name on journalism and in the world of journalism, only now coming around to points that my uncle and I talked about like four years ago? Like it, it feels like he's just so in it he couldn't even see it happening around him. Or – I mean that is possible, but to be honest with you, I don't think that's it. I think more likely it is he knew it all along. But it's only now where it's become so mainstream and so obvious that he can't deny it any longer. So now he's just jumping on the bandwagon late because he, he has to. Because no, he has no other options. Yeah, maybe. I mean, at this point, he's got to admit it because it's that bad. But, but just my point was more four years ago, it was somewhat controversial, uh, even though it was, I think, just as obvious then as it is now. But it was still much more controversial to take, you know, to have the conversation we had back then. And to talk about it, and re- if you recall, we included all those examples of it. You know where yep. there was selective editing of things, where you know some some African American woman was going off on some yeah, that was rant. CNN. Yeah, CNN specifically was editing out things that would would have made the stories they were covering 180 look degrees the opposite different. way. Yeah, yeah, 180 degrees the other the opposite way. But um, with the media killing itself as it has, I think the vacuum it creates is going to be filled and it has been filled like again with what you said about Krasinski and with Joe Rogan and who knows who how many other people as we fast forward into this where I could see the day where large traditional media is almost dead because it's just been so it's been so mistrusted it's lost all respect Mm. and all that we're left with is a whole bunch of uh, individuals popping up wherever they pop up with an opinion and a point mm. of view and gaining, you know, gaining a following and gaining some level of trust and respect. And, you know, there's going to be a probably a, a second w- or a wave of people who benefit from what just happened to Rogan over the course of the next, I would say, two to three years where lots of people are going to cash in. You'll never hear about it because it won't be a deal like Rogan. They won't be as famous as Rogan. and But they'll get like, you know, hey, why don't you we'll pay you $200,000 a year to do that for us. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's going to be the case. I think we're going to enter a world where, you know, it's already kind of happening where every company can now afford its own media department that can produce its own content. One, it's it can do it pretty cheaply. It can do it cheaply enough that it, that they don't need to outsource it. And and it doesn't really require that much capital to do. Oh, yeah. So a lot of companies are already doing that themselves. One and then two, it's like, he, you know, Ezra Klein even said in this like article that he's like, we, or I mean, in this article in this uh, podcast that he's he said something like, you know, what what is you know media supposed to do? What is journalism supposed to do? Because it's like we can't really report in exactly these ways that we used to because. You know, things look different. There's much more controversy. Like, how do we earn that trust? You know, I'm not even sure how we're supposed to do it. And in my head, I'm thinking, Joe Rogan has solved this problem. Like, he's the the number of times when I think, what do I, you know, do I uh, just take fitness as a great example? If I if I think I want to, should I be taking X Y Z supplement or how should I be taking it? I go to YouTube 
and I YouTube that. Yep. And what comes up almost always on top is Joe Rogan talking to a or a couple of different experts and they will describe how you're supposed to use X, Y, Z. And I go figured it out. Like, and that, and that's it. Like I don't, I don't need to, they analyzed it. He's had, he's gone so far as to have Michael Shermer, who's the editor in chief of, uh, of skeptic magazine on the show debating with people about different controversial sort of conspiracy ish, not actual conspiracies, but like conspiracy ish topics just because he's, he wants this like debate and this like full analysis, like UFOs are one of them. And the other one is like the age of human civilization and different things like this. But that's going to probably be the future where it's like, we're going to get to the bottom of X, Y, Z with some experts. And because of the format, we can actually let this conversation, it's not a soundbite. It's not CNN with talking heads going back and forth. It's like we can sit down for three hours and hash out this to get to the, you know, to get to some definitive conclusions. Yeah. In fact, I would, uh, the last thing you said that really triggered something in my thinking, which is it's the, it's the anti, it's the anti soundbite because to me, the soundbite has destroyed, you know, the whole, the whole concept of, uh, everything needs to be disseminated in the form of a soundbite because the public's attention span is that short. And I think that's, you know, I think enough people are waking up or have already awakened to the fact that that's just not really good for you because you're just getting, you know, something that's been spun by somebody almost a hundred percent of the time. There's a purpose. Like we packaged it this way. We chose this particular soundbite or we strung together these three soundbites because we want to make this specific point or lead you in this specific direction. When you go long form like Rogan does, all that's out the window. Yep, and and that's why I really am a huge fan of his, and I've watched many of his, uh, you know, the long forms of his shows, and I've watched lots of small chunks of his shows, but you know, this is stuff I've learned about so many things. Like I take uh, just one random example. I'm turning around to look back where I have um, a couple different types of mushroom that I take every single day because of a guy yep. who was on his show named Paul. I can't recall his name, last name, but he was a really fascinating dude. And he's like Mr. Mushroom. He's, uh, I'll include a link in the show notes, but this dude was just fascinating. And, you know, of course, the, much of the conversation was centered around, you know, the psych- psilocybin mushrooms and, you know, all the tripping aspects of that, which I found fascinating. But a lot of it wasn't. And, and this is the point I'm making, is that I watched that and learned about these supplements that I'd never heard of that I've now been taking for probably a year. And I'm telling you, they have really helped me. They've done yep. exactly what the dude said they would do, which is like I feel, I feel a level of mental acuity that has no, absolutely no stimulative aspect to it. There's no rush. There's no buzz. There's nothing. All I know is that my brain just feels like it's working better for some reason that I can't pinpoint. Yeah. And I re- and that's what you know. That's what one of these supplements I'm supposed to take does the ones i take are called um turkey tail and um i love that you've actually got this shit <laughs> turkey tail and lion's mane those are two different kinds of mushroom and uh yeah I'm, I'm telling you they and i and it's funny because i i randomly seen ads for these things around you know like on facebook and online and it seems to me like he's gaining some it's gaining some popularity because it it just seems to work and by the way if you haven't seen that dude like his 
again, I'll include it. I'll, I'll include a link to the specific show I'm talking about. He yep. tells this story about something that happened to him that is completely inexplicable. And I don't want to ruin it. I'll just say that it has to do with a flood and some cattle. So that when you, <laughs> if you listen to this and you hear the story, you'll know that this is what I was referring to. But when you hear this story, the hair on the back of your neck will stand up because it's just a freakish story. And the, and the yeah. short version of it is he had this dream. He shared the dream with some friends. The friends laughed at him. A week later, exactly what he said was going to happen happened. What? And it was the most inexplicable prediction, like the kind of thing that would happen like maybe once in a lifetime. Wow, dude. And it happened a week later. And oh my gosh, it was just, oh, freaky. I got to listen to this podcast. His last name is Stamets. It's S-T-A-M-A-T-Z. Stamets, that's right. I think I was it's close. S-T-A-M-A-T-Z. That's from memory. I didn't look it up, but I, I just came to me. Stamets. He's that's the benefit of really, taking those, uh, the taking those of taking the mushrooms, mushrooms man. Exactly. <laughs> Well, this has been a really interesting conversation, and yeah, we had Brendan had an idea for a, for a topic, and uh, I agreed to it right before we started recording. And then we never, literally, never came within. Yeah, 10 the number miles of times of this it. happens on the show, but it, we'll do it for the one of these ones. It's it's love in the time of COVID nineteen uh, because I I read part of what prompted this was I read some information released by uh, Pornhub and Bumble and Tinder and OkCupid, and it's like the you know, everybody has moved online for this stuff right now. And like the amount, for example, I mean, this is, shouldn't surprise anyone, but the amount of Pornhub getting consumed right now is completely nuts that on March, just to one detail to sprinkle some, just a taste of what we may talk about, uh, American consumption of Pornhub.com was at a 50% higher than average on March 25th. It was like whatever it normally is, it was 50% higher just that day. Wow. And it, it's crazy because they, they go into all kinds of details about how this is skewing their data and like all this. It's pretty interesting stuff, actually. Well, so. when, you, when you mentioned the topic, I had no idea that that's what you were going to, that's what you had in mind. I had no yeah. idea. Because if I'd known that's what you had in mind, I would have, I would have aggressively gone to that topic because I, because <laughs> I, 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 I'd be, well, I'm not surprised by what you just said, but to me, that would be a very interesting to, to, a very interesting thing to discuss, and we will discuss that on the next show. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's good catching up with you, and uh, we hope you guys are doing okay in this uh, very bizarre time, and that you decided to spend some of it with us. Hopefully, it's 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 been uh, worthwhile for you guys as much as it has for us. Thanks, everybody. We really appreciate your support of Unkview, and we will see you on the next show. Peace.